The 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks affords an opportunity to look back at our investments and decisions that we've made over the past 20 years. I want to thank the America First Policy Institute for having us here today to have this important discussion with our esteemed guests. We have Lieutenant General retired Keith Kellogg. Lieutenant General Keith Kellogg is a co-chairman of the Center for American Security at the America First Policy Institute. A highly decorated combat veteran with nearly four decades of uniform service, he most recently served as National Security Advisor to Vice President Pence and Chief of Staff of the National Security Council. We also have Honorable John Ratcliffe. After his Senate confirmation as the U.S. Director of National Intelligence, John Ratcliffe served as America's top intelligence official, overseeing all 18 intelligence agencies, as well as serving as President Donald Trump's principal intelligence advisor. Prior to becoming DNI, Director Radcliffe served for six years in the House of Representatives, representing Texas's 4th Congressional District, as a member of the Intelligence, Judiciary, and Homeland Security Committees. And we have Honorable Chad Wolf. Chad Wolf serves as chairman of AFPI's Center for Homeland Security and Immigration. Prior to joining AFPI, Wolf served as the first Senate-confirmed Undersecretary for Policy and Acting Secretary of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. During his time at DHS, he successfully navigated numerous global and domestic challenges to our nation's security, including COVID-19, civil unrest, and threats to global and aviation security. Prior to his service at DHS, he spent over 10 years in the private sector, helping clients manage risks and shaping policy outcomes on key legislative, regulatory, and commercial issues. So on our panel today, we'll be discussing a lot of different things that have to do with our war on terror. I want to start off with this first question. As you see it, what are the top things that we got right and what did we get wrong over the past 20 years in our war on terror? Well, Stacey, it's a great question. I think over the last 20 years, uh, the nation and the country really has built up quite a capacity to make sure that another 9-11 does not strike here in the homeland. And so what do I mean by that? Obviously, the Department of Homeland Security was created uh, to prevent another 9-11, uh, whether that's aviation security, border security, or our most recent operational component, cybersecurity. As the threats change over time, the department is positioned to change as well and to evolve. And I think that's what's unique about what we've done over the past 20 years. There's more information sharing than we've ever had before, which obviously was one of the, the issues with 9-11 is not sharing that information between government agencies. So that has increased. Uh, the ability to screen and vet individuals coming into the country uh, has also, our capability has increased tremendously. Now, I question the leadership and how do you use those tools over time. And we've seen different administrations and presidencies use those tools, uh, some very, very effective and some not so effective. Um, but I think overall Americans uh, can, can take some solace in the fact that we are more secure today than we were prior to 9-11, although there is still a lot of work to continue to do. Stacey, good to be with you and to be with uh, Secretary Wolf and, and General Kellogg. Uh, I think Chad touched on it um, in the right way. After 9-11, um, you know, the primary mantra for all of us was to make sure that this never happened again, that there was never another 9-11 on, uh, on our homeland. And as Chad talked about from a capacity standpoint, the things that we did to prevent that have been successful 20 years later. I think that the challenge as we approach 9-11 and we look at recent events in Afghanistan, 
um, that have Americans wondering about um, the fight against radical Islamic terrorism that concerns everyone is where did we lose focus? And I think that the lesson learned there is that, you know, we had a mission with regard to Afghanistan and preventing another 9-11. Um, and over time, we saw that morph into a different mission of nation building and going into countries like Afghanistan and Iraq to create democracies in populations where maybe they weren't, from a culture standpoint, receptive to that. Absolutely. How about you, sir? Well, Stacey, thanks for having me today and appreciate you doing what the moderating, can't get that out, moderating, <laughs> and Director Radcliffe, thank you, and Secretary Will, thank you as well. Look, I'll, let me just narrow it down a little bit further. Let me talk about Afghanistan just for a minute. Um, first of all, about Afghanistan, I think we need to congratulate our great young men and women who fought there for the last 20 years and the sacrifices uh, they've undergone for 20 years. We've lost over 2,000 dead. Uh, more thousands wounded, and we spent trillions of dollars there. And I think for the first two years in Afghanistan, we had it right. I mean, we went from a very righteous attempt. We went after bin, bin Laden. We destroyed al-Qaeda. You know, the mastermind of 9-11, KSM, is sitting in a jail cell in Guantanamo Bay as we speak. But the last 18 years, I think we made a mistake by started staying in Afghanistan and focusing on Afghanistan, which turned out to be a nation-building exercise. And because of that, I think it bogged us down strategically. I'm a big believer that we needed to leave Afghanistan, but it was how you left Afghanistan was important. And the reason I thought it was important because it would allow us then to pivot to other strategic areas. We can then look at China, which was an emerging country, emerging threat, and we look at Russia as well. And now today, unfortunately, we've actually got three threats. We now have China, which is emerging still. We have Russia, and now we have the emerging threat, I believe, of terrorism we have to look at long term based on what has happened recently in Afghanistan. So uh, with that in mind, um, what is the main or several things, several main things that the Trump administration did right during his time in office? It was, it was a tumultuous time, but there were, in my opinion, many moments where he exceeded his predecessors. And there were also some moments where he would have done more had he been able to uh, with the stressors that he had on his administration. Well, absolutely. And, you know, from my standpoint, I think one of the, the great things that President Trump did was really challenge conventional wisdom. And he also wasn't afraid to take on very difficult and hard decisions. And so when we talk about the homeland, obviously what he did a lot regarding border security and immigration enforcement. And these are two areas that are very difficult uh, to deal with uh, because you've got Congress, you've got a, a variety of different stakeholders that you have to address. But he did it effectively. Uh, we dealt with multiple crises uh, during the four years. But at the end of the day, we put together a playbook of policies and procedures that secured the southern border, that made sure that we had interior enforcement, enforcing our immigration laws, protecting the homeland. And I think that we did that uh, better than most. And unfortunately, that got, that got torn down at the beginning of this administration. But the playbook is still there. There are still effective ways to secure that southern border, to protect the sovereignty uh, of the United States. Uh, and, and as we look at our other counterterrorism missions and the other counterterrorism uh, priorities at the department, and the president was very forward-leaning on a lot of those, uh, we put in travel restrictions for countries that refuse to share information with the United States about who their foreign nationals coming to the United States were. They wouldn't share information about passports and, and a whole bunch of other travel documents. And we put travel restrictions on them, and guess what? We started to receive more information from countries around the world than we had ever received before. And so just having a practical approach about how you secure the country, to secure the homeland, 
I think the president was was very good in that in that regard. Thank you, Chad. How about you, sir? Stacy, I would say that it wasn't any particular issue or decision that made the Trump administration uh, different. It was really an attitude or a philosophy that was so much different from both prior Republican and Democratic administrations. And I think that difference in that in that attitude was a willingness by the Trump administration, led by President Trump, to really put the security and prosperity of the American people first in front of the Washington bureaucracy and not just pay lip service to it as, as both Republicans and Democrats you know, often do. And Chad talked about some of the specific examples. In other words, the president understood that you know, providing for the common defense and securing the sovereignty of, and integrity of our territorial border was what led him to, to lead you know, building an actual physical wall to do that in the Middle East to take an approach that allowed for the Abraham Accords and to bring peace there to, um, to approach the cost of NATO and, and how that had been unfair to Americans. You know, I'd been waiting my whole life for a president to, to, to send someone to the United Nations and say to the rest of the world, we're not gonna give money to countries that hate us anymore. And that was really what the Trump administration was about was the willingness to stand up for the American people and not just pay lip service to it, but to, but to actually put that into action. Gerald Kellogg. Yeah, th thanks. I want to key to what John was saying. One of the things I noticed about President Trump is, of course, he had this whole concept about America first, but how personally engaged he was. And what I mean by personal engagement, he would pick up the phone and call any foreign leader anytime, day or night, to make sure that they understood that it was always America first and how it impacted Americans. And the one example, it's a pretty good example because it's a recent example. When they were doing the peace negotiations with the Taliban in Afghanistan, he picked up the phone and personally called Mullah Bharadur, who was the chief negotiator for the Taliban. And he made it very, very clear during these discussions what he could expect if he violated the terms of the peace agreement. And it was done by a translation, and I was always sitting in the Oval Office listening to the President pass on what his concerns were. I was always wondering how this was being translated because he was so forceful about it. But he would do that with every foreign leader he had there. It was always what was best for America, what was best for American interests out there. And then he would be able to back up on that, back up uh, his actions with deeds. And I think it was very, very important for the American people to see that because no other uh, American leader that I'm aware of was so personally engaged with foreign leaders and so direct with foreign leaders. People may not have liked his style, but all the foreign leaders that he talked to understood where America was coming from. There's a term that's used out there, and I heard it recently, it was forced respect. Mm. You may not like what he says, but you had to respect America, and that's what he did with that personal engagement. Wow, so um, staying with you, sir, I, what in your view is the immediate fallout from what has happened over the past couple of weeks with our withdrawal from Afghanistan? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a lack of respect that we're seeing throughout the world. And my, my biggest concern about what we are seeing uh, in the past two weeks and how it impacts national security going forward is adversaries look at us. What is the will of the American people to take action to protect American interests out there? And what they're seeing now is weakness. And the people that you're dealing with, be it Xi of China or, or Putin, of Russia, or you see that uh, Kim Jong-un of North Korea, they can smell and they can sense weakness. And that's what we are portraying right now. And, and that means that in the future, 
we can expect and we probably should expect that this administration will be challenged at the leadership level. We didn't see that with the Trump administration because what we saw with the Trump administration, we always operated from strength. One great example is when we went after Soleimani, the general from Iran who has led the Quds Force in Iran. We said very clearly to the Iranians, if you kill or hurt an American, we are going to make you pay a price for it. They killed an American in a rocket attack. It was actually through their subsidiaries going forward uh, for in, a, in a, Iraq. And we ended up going after the leader of, of the Quds Force, Soleimani, who we know directed those people. So he was very clear to people, okay, he means business. When he talks, America speaks with force. Yeah, that was a, a, quite a moment for us. Uh, I, I felt so proud of us as a country. It, it was something that bolstered my respect for him as a leader. And I knew that it's a ripple effect around the world for us as a country. Um, so as the former director of national intelligence, has the way in which America withdrew from Afghanistan had an impact on the threats that are facing Americans, especially from terrorists and those uh, other adversaries that we face? Yeah, Stacey, unfortunately it has. It's had a, a profound and grave impact. Um, you know, General Kellogg talked a little bit about it. There, there's a big difference between you know, a withdrawal that, that we had planned that uh, would allow for the Afghan people to determine their own fate and what we've seen in the last few weeks with the, with the Biden administration really uh, a retreat, some would call surrender under terms where, you know, uh, human remains, you know, are ground up in the wheel well of your transports and people falling from, from aircraft. And, and, uh, and that really unfortunately um, has, first of all, breathed life into the radical Islamic terrorist movement. I mean, really given a, a victory that unfortunately um, terrorists can point to uh, not just for decades, but maybe for centuries. And I, I don't mean to be hyperbolic about it, but, but, but this is uh, profound and, and grave in so many ways. And it's not just about terrorism, as the general said, it's about all of our adversaries. It's about, you know, how we project um, strength or weakness. And, you know, unfortunately, and I'm not trying to be mean-spirited, but most people see what happened in Afghanistan uh, recently as um, not standing up for American armed forces and, and essentially a cowardly retreat in the face of an inferior um, adversary. And, uh, and so adversaries, whether it be Russia or China or Iran, um, are very likely to continue to test this administration and its resolve, which it has not demonstrated, you know, in the first eight months. Thank you, sir. Secretary Wolf, I, I, when you're looking at Afghanistan and the U.S. southern border, um, these are crisis areas in, in the opinion of many who speak about this. But can you name just two crisis areas within that area? And how would you describe our level of security in the homeland? Let me just build, uh, it's a great question. Let me build off um, some couple of comments. And this is about leadership, whether we're talking about national security threats overseas or homeland threats directly here at the, in the homeland. And it's a, it, and the lack of leadership emboldens our adversaries at the end of the day. And so what do you have? You have two adversaries, the Taliban in Afghanistan and then transnational criminal organizations or Mexican cartels along our southern border that over these past several months have been emboldened are stronger today than they were six, seven, eight months ago, unfortunately. And that's a shame. They control more money, more territory, and in the case of the Taliban, more weaponry uh, than they did 
um, you know, several months ago, several years ago. And so that's a problem at the end of the day because that talks about the security of the homeland. And so from Af an Afghanistan standpoint, my concern is what does the Taliban, how is that government going to be formed? And is it going to become another safe haven for terrorism? Uh, I think as we had military there on the ground, diplomatic presence on the ground, we had a hard enough time understanding what was going on inside that country. Now that everyone's removed, we have no embassy, we have no intelligence function on the ground there, our capabilities to understand are they planning attacks to the homeland are going to be diminished at the end of the day. So I think it makes us less secure and less safe. From a southern, you know, southwest border perspective, you have over 200,000 individuals entering the country every month. Um, the ability to process them, house them, uh, background check them, these are all, and in, 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 in as far as the Afghan refugees, these are all being conducted by the same people inside the federal government. And so you're going to have this a mass amount of screening and vetting that's going on. Uh, corners are going to be cut. The system's not designed to do it this way. And these are two what I call self-inflicted crises that didn't need to occur at the end of the day. Had different policies been instituted, we would have avoided this, and we would have had a more sane withdrawal from Afghanistan. You would have been able to vet individuals timely, and on the southern border, we would be able to control that, protect communities, and not have a COVID crisis uh, and a security crisis along that border as well. So for all three of you, um, and I'd like to start with you, uh, I, I just, I get to this place where as a person who I talk about this a lot, it's so disturbing and the three of you are articulating it so well. So it's like, we're not a Debbie Downer here, but this is information that Americans really need to know. Um, what is your biggest concern in terms of the policy direction today, whether a particular issue or a way of approaching the threats in general? So Stacy, what I would say is it's, it's not a particular policy decision, um, it's the policy decision makers that concerns me most. Um, look, no, no one really questions the resolve of the United States in the long term, but I think it's fair to say that many, many Americans are questioning the resolve um, of America in the short term. So it, over the past seven months, what we've seen is a national security apparatus in the Biden administration get it wrong with regard to our uh, southern border and create a crisis that didn't exist, to ignore the intelligence there, to ignore the intelligence in making foreign policy decisions with regard to Iran that could unravel uh, the Abraham Accords. And as a result, we saw thousands of Iranian-backed or built um, missiles rain down on our, on our ally Israel there. They got it wrong with respect to Russia and the Nord Stream pipeline, which, which would never have been finished if had those sanctions not been lifted by this administration. They've gotten it wrong with regard to China and standing up to you know, China's malfeasance in connection with COVID. So it, across the board on every national security um, decision so far, this administration has has gotten wrong. And there's a, a you know, now highlighted by this absolute catastrophic calamity and debacle um, in Afghanistan that that Americans won't long, you know, forget. Um, so I think there's a, a real crisis of confidence in, in the national security apparatus. And in the short term, you know, the idea that for three more years, we're going to have these folks making decisions about our national security, uh, I think is the thing that concerns me most and, and probably concerns most Americans. Absolutely. General Kellogg? Yeah, I, I, 
I thought John said it really, really well on that. You know, because what you're looking at, what happened in Afghanistan, is really a moronic blunder of historic proportions. And when, when the Biden administration came in, I think the term that, that the press was using was, well, the adults are back. Well, they forgot the history. And then, as Yogi Berra, the great Yankee catcher, once said, it's deja vu all over again. And he's brought people back that were the same ones who brought disasters before. These are the same ones when the Russians took back Crimea, mm -hmm. did nothing. They're the same ones that when the Syrians crossed the famous red line of using nerve gas on civilians, we would do something, did nothing. These are the same people who said, let's go into Libya and created a civil war in Libya, which that is still going on to this day. We brought in some really smart people and some really good people, led by a president who said, we are gonna look at the world differently. We're gonna look at America first, how it helps American people. And it's gonna be transactional. If it's good for America, then it's gonna be good for you, and we'll work through that. And so I, I think we had some really, really good people come into the administration who were very, very smart about what they did. And I think you're looking at, as John said it a minute ago, you're looking at a continuation of policies that were we saw eight and 12 years ago that were just flat wrong. And the American people pay the price. And they pay the price in their personal treasure, meaning the blood of America, uh, which is our most valuable asset, the young men and women we have that serve for us. And also the treasure that we've spent in the Middle East, which is in the, in the trillions of dollars. And, and the president used to say, can you imagine if we could have used those trillion dollars here at home for our inner city schools, mm -hmm. for rapid transport, for anything that we could have used it for, and we spent it overseas, that was not helping America. So I think John hit it right on the right on the head. Thank you, sir. Secretary Wolf. Well, it's going to be difficult to uh, <laughs> to expand on those points, but I, I think they it, they have it exactly right, right? Which is there's a lot of capabilities that the U.S. has, whether it's fighting wars overseas, protecting our homeland on the southern border from cyber criminals and the like. A lot of capabilities that are there. The question is, what does the leadership of the country do with those capabilities. And unfortunately, what we've seen time and time again, it's America last. Uh, they should be asking themselves, how do we protect Americans first? And if you go with that philosophy and that approach, then it leads you to certain decisions that need to be made. And we're just not seeing that at the end of the day. We don't see that on the southern border. We don't see that in Afghanistan, you know, bringing Americans out first, making sure they are safe before that withdrawal. Um, and so you see that time and time again play out. And I think that's really what concerns me the most. I think it's what concerns most Americans as well, is let's focus on protecting America, protecting American interests first. Let's get that right, and everything else flows from that. Absolutely. So um, I want to shift now to several key issues where we're likely to see threats evolve. And I'd like to start with Director Radcliffe. Um, one of the main policy changes under the last administration had to do with China. Can you characterize that shift, and was it important? Extremely important. So as the, as the Director of National Intelligence, I saw more intelligence last year than any other person in the country, perhaps other than the President. Um, and what that intelligence clearly said is that China is presenting um, an existential threat to the United States that we've never faced before. It's the only country uh, in the world that has the capability of uh, supplanting the United States um, economically and militarily and technologically as the world superpower and has a specific defined plan to do so. And our intelligence clearly said that and that's why, you know, I shifted um, 
20% uh, increase of our resources with respect to, you know, gathering intelligence on China. Um, you know, uh, what makes China different and why this is so, you know, many of us grew up at the Cold War era with the Soviet Union and, you know, nuclear weapons and all of that, but, but, but China is different in that they're like the enemy within. Um, uh, they are in our supply chain. They are intertwined in our economy. They are invested in our, uh, in our politicians in Washington, D.C., and in our Wall Street institutions. And, it, and that's what makes them uh, a difficult challenge to deal with at this point in time. So many people don't want China to be the bad guy, to be the villain, when in fact um, their actions very clearly from an intelligence standpoint tell us that that's exactly where they are. And Stacey, here's what's unfortunate is at a time when we should be shifting to China, um, we made the point that unfortunately the missteps in Afghanistan are breathing life into radical Islamic terrorism, which is something that, you know, we had destroyed the ISIS caliphate. Um, we had left ISIS in tatters. We had taken out most of the terrorist leaders. Al-Qaeda was down to less than 200 folks in Afghanistan, and now we don't really know where that's going to go other than we know that it's going to be a problem that increases. So, you know, unfortunately, that's a challenge that we're, we're going to all face. Thank you. So, Secretary Wolf, I, we've seen transnational criminal organizations exploit weaknesses on our southern border, uh, and these have been unprecedented. And especially over the past couple of decades, we've taken measures to address that. We've been very aggressive in addressing the southern border, especially during the Trump administration. So, Secretary Wolf, how would you characterize the threats on the southern border and actions taken under the Trump administration? And how likely are we to see a further deterioration of that now under the yeah, Biden administration? Great question. Let me build off of what the director said. Uh, we produced a homeland threat assessment in late in the fall of 2020, and we indicated the top threats facing the homeland. And from my perspective, the number one threat there was China. Uh, and it can't be overstated or understated enough. The threats facing the homeland long term are from Chinese malign activity. And I think most Americans need to really understand that. I encourage them to read that that threat assessment. But we have other threats facing the homeland. Cybersecurity, I've talked about. Transnational criminal organizations, you certainly mentioned. Terrorism, domestic terrorism. You know, the, the list goes on and on and on. And so the question is, how do you prioritize that and making sure that you are reading the intelligence and that you are putting your resources towards addressing those? And I think what we've seen play out over the last several years and certainly in the last several weeks is the threat from foreign adversaries. Again, whether it's those transnational criminal organizations or now whether it's terrorist-related groups uh, that perhaps are reconstituting themselves overseas in Afghanistan that, that have the ability to strike here in the homeland. You know, it's funny, I continue to see and hear this administration talk about, and the president has said this, the number one threat facing the homeland is domestic terrorism. And it's simply not true, it's not the case. Uh, it's a threat, just like there are many threats that you have to guard against. But to somehow convince and talk to the American people that the number one threat facing Americans every day is domestic terrorism is just not the case. And so I encourage this administration to be upfront with the American people that there are bad people that want to do bad things to Americans every single day. Um, it's from foreign adversaries, foreign terrorist organizations, other groups, criminals, cyber activities, criminals. And uh, we need to be clear-eyed about that threat and be honest with the American people. Thank you, sir. So, General Radcliffe, I want to start with you. Um, I'm sorry, General Kellogg, I want to start with you. We have um, this question for each of you, and then we're going to move to final thoughts. So, as you look at where we are now and out over the horizon, 
uh, both under this administration and down the road, the threats um, to America, which of those keep you up at night? Which are the yeah. most serious to you? Yeah, well, it, I've got to kind of tailor this in with what Chad <laughs> and Director Ratcliffe both said because they really nailed it really quite good. You know, we've all been in the Oval Office with the President. We've all been in situation room discussions with the President, former President of the United States out there. And when you come to national security, you really do have to be able to chew gum and walk at the same time. And he was able to balance a lot of these issues ensuring that Americans were protected every day and, and night uh, through his entire term. And I saw that happen all the time. And the problem you run into now is because of what has happened in Afghanistan, we used to really focus in on two major threats. We looked at the Chinese and we looked at the Russians. Now you've got three threats because we've abandoned the Middle East in the sense that it's going to be a terrorist hotbed now. We're pretty sure that's going to happen, the resurgence of Al-Qaeda or any other organization. And then you've got, as, as uh, Secretary Wolf said, with China, which is a huge emerging threat, when you look at this, the reports, unclassified reports coming out now, that there's three huge missile fields they've developed with over 200 ICBMs into those missile fields, clearly that's an offensive threat that, w that we're looking at. The Russians will always be there as a threat, uh, coming forward as an existential threat simply because of their nuclear weapons. What keeps me awake at night uh, when you look at all these things we've seen, and the reason I say that comment about the Oval Office in the Situation Room, it's the will of the American president. Does he have the personal courage to make those hard decisions at the critical times going forward? We all saw in four years that President Trump did that. But if you look at President Biden, when you look at his track record, this is the guy who sat in the Situation Room and recommend against going after Osama bin Laden. Mm -hmm. I mean, that kind of tells you everything you want to know about the, his leadership style. And then to do what happened, he did recently, which I said earlier was a moronic blunder, of pulling our forces out on a prescribed date that we said should not be done. We had a very deliberate plan set in place which was conditions-based, and he just abandoned that. And you saw what happened in Afghanistan. Uh, and and I, you look at this and you go, okay, what about his decision-making capacity and capability? So what keeps me awake at night? What kind of decisions is he going to make for the next three years? And how is that going to affect the men and women in uniform, the men and women of the other services that we have that are out there on the border, overseas, whatever it's going to be? So that, that's my big concern uh, is his ability to make decisions. I don't think he's got it. Wow. Uh, Director Ratcliffe. Yeah, I'm going to resist the urge to, to pile on there. I think uh, <laughs> General Kellogg said it, had said it so well in terms of, you know, uh, the, a threat from within, if you will, in our own national security apparatus and the decision makers there. But so I talked about, you know, the greatest threat um, from an intelligence standpoint, from a nation state standpoint, very clearly China. We all we all agree on that. On an issue specific topic, I would say what keeps me up is is cybersecurity and the concerns there. And the reason that I say that is, you know, countries that can't compete with the United States kinetically from a firepower standpoint, and that includes, you know, every other country in the world at this point, they can and do compete with us um, through cyberspace. And so countries like, for instance, Iran or North Korea, or you know, certainly Russia, China, and, and our adversaries, they have the ability from half a world away in a few seconds and a few keystrokes to, to really impact the American way of life. And our ability to defend ourselves through cyberspace is something as recent events like the solar winds attack or the attack on the colonial pipeline, those types of things really underscore that we are not where we need to be to protect the American people and, and the American, you know, the interests of the American 
people and our economy, you know, from a cyber secure standpoint. And so, you know, that is a challenge that we're going to have to deal with going forward and one that having seen it from the inside, um, I know that that threat is, is, is something that can impact every American every day. Secretary Wolf? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I agree with all that's been said here. I think it's it's the will, uh, as General Kellogg said, making sure that the folks in charge now understand the threats, they're cleared eye about those threats, and they are pursuing policies that address those threats. So whether it is cybersecurity, which I agree with Director Radcliffe, it is the it is today's new battlefield, even though we are in Afghanistan or still fighting that. Uh, it is the new battlefield um, uh, as far as threats here to the homeland. But also, again, along that southern border uh, and elsewhere, it's making sure that they understand what is the real threat and then protecting Americans against that threat. And unfortunately, we see that when it comes to immigration and border security is they are not taking that approach. Instead, they believe that all 200,000 individuals crossing that border are in need of asylum protections. When we know that's not the case, the data says that's not the case. Uh, that there are criminals, there are other bad people in that flow, and they need to they need to understand that. They need to be cleared eye about that, and they need to take very specific measures to address that. You know, it's one thing to uh, go about issues overseas, right? But when they start here in the homeland, when they start showing up at the homeland on our borders or in our cyber networks, you have to take definitive and decisive action quickly. And that's what I'm most concerned about. That's what keeps me up at night. Thank you so much. So um, this has been such a wide-ranging and deep discussion on these issues, and I'm really hoping that people will share what we're doing here today because it's so important for us to have um, the truth about what we're dealing with in this arena. Any final thoughts, General Kellogg? Yeah, the, America is a great nation. It's got wonderful people and with great ideals, and that's one thing that everybody should consistently, constantly remember. That, that, that where we came from as a nation, did it have flaws? Has it? Ha does it have flaws? Sure it does, but we've overcome them. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of people fleeing to get here. They're not fleeing to leave this country. And, and I think we should be very, very proud of who we are and where we came from and what we've tried to do. Tried to do. I mean, it's, uh, you should be very, very proud to be an American and what we stand for. Absolutely. Secretary. Yeah, well said, General. Um, I think as we uh, are, you know, are now upon a 20-year anniversary of 9-11, of you know, um, in light of what we've talked about in Afghanistan, it, it's hard for people to, to, to feel good or positive from the standpoint of, you know, the very same place and, and some of the same people that helped launch that attack 20 years ago you know, are, are celebrating another victory as a result of, of something that, you know, the Biden administration's approach there. But I go back to, you know, 9-11 and in the aftermath of when that happened, never in my life have I had a sense of patriotism uh, where Americans were united and brought together. And, and in an odd way, notwithstanding this administration's failures, that same feeling is there with regard to Afghanistan right now because there are Americans that are stranded and, and trapped there. And what you see across this country is so many people saying, you know, uh, there's a sense of patriotism. That even, if, even if this administration isn't going to stand up for them, um, that the American people will and we won't leave them behind and that um, uh, we're not going to forget about this and that not all of this was, was in vain and that you know, our brave men and women for the last 20 years really did 
um, you know, fight for the right reasons. And, and, um, and so I think that people need to remember that, you know, feeling 20 years ago and, and right now in these really difficult times, again, be patriotic about being an American and what it really means and what, you know, what it stands for. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I think the anniversary of 9-11 of every year, but obviously this year, the 20th year, gives you a time to reflect. And I think it's important for Americans to really understand the threats facing the homeland. Um, and I'm sure Director Radcliffe and General Colleague would agree that there are still people in this world that want to kill and harm Americans. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, that's what the federal government needs to do is to provide protection and security. And so we need to keep that in mind. You know, there's a, there's a whole host of individuals. If you go to a college campus today, freshmen weren't even born on 9-11. Um, so you have a whole host of individuals who don't understand that threat, didn't witness, didn't experience 9-11 like many of us did. And so it's important to remind them of that. It's re to remind them that there are bad people that want to do bad things to the United States every single day. Uh, and it's because of the work that the men and women across the federal government, not only at DHS, but in the intelligence community, at DOD and others that protect this homeland every day. They deserve our gratitude, our respect. Um, and at the end of the day, they want to do their job. Um, they want to do the job that they were hired to do, um, and we need to let them do their job and protect the country day in and day out. I want to thank each of you for joining us today uh, here at America First Policy Institute for this wide-ranging and very important discussion that we've had. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.